The book of Psalms is a very enlightening, I guess you'd say. There, there are many aspects in the Psalms where we start reading and where you often see ourselves, or I see myself in a lot in the circumstances where the psalmist is decrying the, the seeming uh, prosperity of the wicked. He's calling out to the Lord, Lord, do you really hear me? Are you really there? And uh, the, the interesting thing that, that we see in, a, in the Psalms many of the times is we see this, this drastic change where at the beginning of the psalm he's decrying his position, he's lamenting, and he's wondering if God is there, if God hears him, if God has forsaken him. Uh, at the end of the psalm we often see the exact opposite of that. Um, so the, the psalms are really encouraging and they're, they're, they're really great to, to go through because they're relatively short, uh, but I, they, they hold a, a wonderful message for us. And uh, we're, we're going to go through Psalm 33 uh, this afternoon, and we're going to read the entire the entire psalm, and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. Psalm thirty three, and starting in verse one, sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to Him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all, he who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. um, We're going to kind of just walk our way through the psalm and we're going to end up reading it again. That's fine. Uh, but there's it, there's kind of a couple natural divisions in this psalm and I, that, that would be helpful for us to look at. The, um, the first part of the psalm uh, talks about uh, who God is. Uh, it is very nature. Uh, it gives many uh, attributes of God, things that are present in God. Uh, the second part uh, focuses on the acts of God, the works of God, things that God has done, things that he has accomplished. And then lastly, we're going to look at the, the latter part of the psalm and 
and to see what our responsibility is, how we should respond to God in light of who He is and in light of what He has done. So uh, let's just start off here in the in the first part of the psalm and just kind of uh, work through. Uh, it says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Uh, that word uh, comely, uh, becoming, it is appropriate for the upright to give praise to God. And so we're called to to praise the Lord and to to lift up his name. Praise the Lord with with what? With with our singing. Praise the Lord with harp, with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Uh, I think one one of the parts of, of worship that a lot of people um there's there's two, I guess, two sides. One one side thinks that the singing is the worship, and then the preaching, you know, that's just something we do after the worship. Uh, and then there's another side that says, well, you know, the um, the preaching, that's the real worship, and then the singing is kind of, well, it's just kind of there. But uh, as, as believers, we are to praise the Lord in both of those ways. Uh, and our worship to the Lord should be manifest in our songs. Uh, we're to sing a new song to the Lord, uh, sing a song that is uplifting to Him, that is uh, an emphasis that places the emphasis on him. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of songs you hear today, uh, purportedly Christian songs. I'm not sure he listens to Christian radio, um, but often you know we'll be driving down the road and and Christian radio will be on, or and I'm not even sure what station it is, but I start I'm listening to it and I'm like, wait, this is a Christian song? Like, man, you could have fooled me. I mean, there's there's very little mention of God and His attributes and who He is. And uh, it, it seems to be more more centered on man than it is centered on the Lord. So our praise to the Lord is shown through our song, and he's, he's encouraging us, he's calling us to worship the Lord through our song. Uh, it says, play uh, skillfully. Uh, talks about a harp of ten strings. I, that's definitely not referring to me. I can't. I can play the radio, but that's pretty much the extent of it. But I, I really, in, in a sense, I really do envy, uh, not that envy is a good thing, but, but people like Jason Delgado who can uh, play his guitar and, um, and Elizabeth, of course, who can play the piano. I, uh, I would love to have those skills. But we can praise the Lord with whatever faculties he's given us to do that with. Uh, so we need to be praising him and uplifting him. So let's, um, given that preface, uh, he gives us a reason. Why are we to worship the Lord? Uh, and it, it gives several things about the Lord that uh, that are reasons why we should praise Him and should uh, lift Him up. Uh, notice that it says, verse number 4, For the word of the Lord is upright. All His work is done in faithfulness. So there's a couple things here. One, He is perfect. God is perfect. All His, uh, the word of the Lord is upright. He is righteous. Uh, again, when we, we, when we talk about the, the uh, attributes of God, uh, God is the perfect embodiment of these attributes. Uh, God is the is He is the perfect God. He is completely and fully upright. There is no uh, inconsistency. There is no hypocrisy in the Lord. So He says, "The word of the Lord is upright." And kind of while we're on that topic, aren't you glad that God has given us His Word today? That we have the Word of God. We don't have to go through life and wonder, "Well, how does God intend for me?" to live the Christian life. We don't have to make it up as we go. We don't have to, to look to these external sources. God has given us 
everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that we need to live our Christian lives to please him and honor him. He's, he's given all of that to us in his word. And his word is upright. Uh, it says, all his work is done in faithfulness. You know, a few weeks ago, we looked at the faithfulness of God. Uh, and notice, there's not part of his works that are done faithfulness. Everything that he does, all his works, all his work is done in faithfulness. So God is perfect. He is faithful. Uh, verse number five, uh, he is righteous and just. He loves righteousness and justice. Uh, we, we tend to, you know, I was listening to a, a, an excerpt from a Paul Washer sermon, and um, he was talking about how that a lot of you said, if we, if we approach God from a perspective that, that counts on uh, how we are performing that day or that week, he said, you have a low view of God. You know, a lot of, uh, in, in, in the Reformed, um, I guess, circles or the Reformed uh, groups today, you know, it's, it's, and I think rightly so, we do draw a uh, attention to some inconsistencies in theology, where someone might have a low view of God regarding his sovereignty or regarding his, uh, his headship, um, the fact that he is the supreme creator, he is completely sovereign. He can do whatever he pleases to do. And I think rightly so, we would call out other perspectives and say, well, you know, I, I think you have a lower view of God. That's not a scriptural, biblical view. But uh, what, what his point was is that if we kind of count on what we're doing to somehow appease God or somehow measure up in some humanistic, secular understanding, we have a low view of God. Because God's holiness and his righteousness, his justice are perfect. We can never measure up in and of ourselves. And that is why God has given us uh, the righteousness of Christ. We stand justified not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done, both in taking our sin and, and giving us his righteousness. So um, we see that the God is righteous. He loveth righteousness. And notice this, and justice or judgment. That falls under that category. Uh, God is a God of judgment. There's no, no escaping that. It is a foundation of who he is. Uh, and notice also, the earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. So his goodness, he is loving, he is kind, he is uh, beneficent. Um, he gives us all of these good things uh, for us to enjoy. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount uh, draws attention to the fact that uh, that we are to to uh, treat others regardless of how they have wronged us. We're to love our enemies. We're to do all these things. He says that you that you may be the children of your Father who is in heaven, for He makes His sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Uh, God, the, the, you cannot look around but see the goodness of God revealed, uh, and that many things we take for granted. Many things we look at and we just assume that they are always going to be there. But that is a, a result of the goodness of God. And the earth is full of it, Scripture says. So God is perfect. He is faithful. He is righteous. He is just. Uh, he is good. He's loving. Notice in verse number uh, 33, or Psalm 33, verse number 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. 
and by the breath of his mouth all their host. We see here that God is powerful. Uh, when you when you think about the uh, all of the, the the time and energy and resources that are dedicated to uh, to making the finest quality, the highest quality products, the finest things in this world, but you think about creation and that how this all that we see, all that came into being, was just by the the word of His mouth, just spoken into existence from nothing. Uh, we know that God is a powerful God. And uh, it says, all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. There's a, one of the interesting passages in Genesis, uh, when it, uh, the creation account is given, uh, seemingly kind of a, a passing comment when it comes to creation. It says, he made the stars as well. But when you think about the, the magnitude of our, of our world, our universe, the galaxy, all of the, the things out, uh, in outer space that God created all of them instantaneously. He's a powerful God. Um, and he did. He created everything that was made. Uh, verse seven, he gathereth the waters of the sea, uh, together as a heap. He lays up the depths of the deeps in storehouses. So how, what are we to do in response to this? It says here in verse eight, let all the earth fear the Lord. Uh, we ought to have a, a righteous fear of God, both a reverence for God as our creator, as, as his children, as his people. But there should be um, a, a very real fear of God uh, that, that keeps us in line, that, that keeps us uh, walking in his precepts, uh, and a love for him that, that brings on that behavior as well. So let us fear the Lord. Uh, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And so we, we kind of get into what, what he has done. And he kind of reiterates what he had said previously in verse number nine. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. And so, uh, moving on, verse number 10, verse number 10 and following. Um, the Bible says the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. So here in verse number, verse number 10, in contrast to verse number 11, we see in verse number 10 the, the plans of the nations, the plans of the people. Uh, and then in verse number 11, we see the establishment of the plan of God. And uh, one of the things that that really has, um, from the first time I read this psalm, that I, I mean, that I've that this, maybe not the first time I read this psalm, but the, the time when I read it, you know, have you read something and you uh, you kind of skip over something, you don't realize it, and then you go back and read it, and like, man, I didn't even know that was there. Like, how could I miss that the first time? Um, but I remember when I saw verse number ten and verse number eleven, uh, just the 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 feeling of insignificance. And the feeling of um, insufficient, insufficiency, the feeling of inadequacy, uh, when when talking about the Lord, uh, he says he the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He nullifies the counsel of the nations. Uh, talking about the the advice, their their plans, he frustrates the plans of the peoples. In other words. 
There have been times throughout history, and I think we look throughout Scripture and, and see an intention. We can see a work, uh, and we can look at the life of uh, Joseph, for instance, and the latter part of Joseph's life, uh, and see how he classified that whole scenario that happened with him and his brothers when they were young. He says, you, you meant it unto evil, but God meant it unto good. In other words, there was an intention, there was a purpose behind what you were doing to me. And I, I think, you know, there was, um, going throughout the Joseph account, there, you can see some, what seems to be pride. As he goes before his brothers and he says, oh yeah, let me tell you my dream. And, uh, you know, y'all were, you know, my, my sheep was standing in the field and all of yours were roundabout and they were just bowing and paying homage to mine. And you can see some, some, maybe some pride there, but the intention of, of Joseph's brothers was to humiliate him, to, to rid themselves of him, even to the point of killing him. That was a, a thought that went through their mind. Uh, but they had an intention that was evil in that, in what the, they did in their actions in selling him into slavery, but God had intended it for good. And in that way, God can say, you know what? No, you're not, you're not going to proceed with this. You're not going to do this. Uh, one of the, the passages of scripture is, uh, uh, the, the, the heart of the king is, uh, like rivers of water in the hand of God. And he turns it wherever he chooses. Uh, you know, their leadership and, and countries and, uh, Congress and all of these, I mean, these established, uh, forms of government can, they can have a purpose and they can have a plan, but ultimately, uh, it is God that has the final say. And here, verse 10, he says, the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. So we see the plans of the people and, in, in, when it comes in relationship to the, the plan of God, uh, if you have two, and this is, I think, one of the, uh, the issues that was, um, that really stood out to me when I, when I started to understand the, the sovereignty of God and His, the, His ability and, and the way He does intervene, uh, and when, it, and when it comes to the nature of the will and things like that, God has the right and He does intervene and say, you know what? No, that's not going to happen. Uh, so we see the, the people have a plan. Uh, God has His plan, right? Uh, but the counsel of the Lord is the one that stands forever. Not the counsel of the people. It says the Bible, the Bible says the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. But the counsel of the Lord stands forever. And the plans of His heart from generation to generation. Uh, and we know that, that God's will, uh, is always accomplished. God has a purpose and a plan that he is working out in this world, even in the, the sinful actions of, of human beings. God has his purpose and his plan, and he is working out those things according to his will, uh, not ours. So he's dependable. He, uh, there is, there's no doubting his, his plan and his purpose. Uh, verse number 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. And uh, we should, we should think, uh, think about that with a very uh, humble uh, humility of heart and mind, uh, thoroughly. There, um, one of the, the criticisms of, um, of Reformed theology, and, and specifically as it relates to soteriology, I come from an independent Baptist background, for those of you who don't know, uh, and I'm sure probably everyone knew. Um, but uh, one of the criticisms would be, well, you know, and uh, you're just, uh, oh, bless God, I'm, I'm chosen, everybody else is, and aren't I still lucky? 
I'm just so good that God chose me and didn't choose everyone else. But when you think about that, God didn't have to choose any of us. God was not required um, to save us. That was not something that God was forced to do. It was because of his grace and mercy and love that he has saved us. And that should not uplift us with pride. That should humble us and say, God, thank you so much for the work that you have done in my life. Because we know it's not because of who we are. So blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Notice uh, verse uh, 13 and following. We're going to see some things that, that God does, some actions of God. Verse 13, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all, he who understands all their works. Now, this is a um, this is kind of a sobering thought. I think we would all agree that yeah, God is uh, He is omnipotent. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is um, present, uh, omnipresent. Uh, he sees and hears everything. He knows there is not anything that transpires in this world or outside of this world that God does not have an intimate knowledge of. He knows everything. He sees us. Uh, the Bible says he looks from heaven, he sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the heart of them all, he who understands all their works. So God uh, watches. He sees. Uh, we also see that he fashions our hearts. He fashions the hearts, it says, of them all. And he understands all their works. You know, there's, it's, it's very interesting how, how you can be, you know, as a child, uh, deceptive, even as adults being deceptive. Uh, but I remember I was a kid and, you know, my, um, I, my, my mom or dad asked me something. And I was, I was the kid who, if you asked me and I wasn't guilty, I would tell you. But if you asked and I was guilty, I would just stare at you blankly for about 10 minutes. I mean, I, I had, and there was, there was no questioning whether or not I was guilty. It was, it was very apparent by my, by my face. Just told everything. Um, and I had no idea where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I, I'd go before my, my mom or dad and they would ask me why I did something and the, the intent, I remember how I was going with that. The intent of my heart was to try to deceive. Well, I'm, I'm just not going to say, and that way they won't know, you know. I don't, I don't know what was going on in my mind. Or even if they do ask, and you attempt to deceive them, you lie, you try to cover up, and you try to, try to um, uh, smooth it over and try to fix everything so every, no one knows what's going on. Uh, God knows what's going on. God has a knowledge of all of that. He sees all of our actions. He sees, he sees not only our actions, but the intentions of our heart. Uh, we can look at, at so, several portions of Scripture where, where God uh, judges. Uh, we think of Isaiah, uh, where God judges people based upon the intention of their heart and their actions. So he not only sees the action, we see the action. And sometimes we're fooled, we're, we're deceived by, by uh, um, the, the way that people present themselves or the way that people do things or the words that they're saying. But God is not fooled by any of that. He understands he understands all their works. So God watches. 
And notice it, several times throughout this, um, there's an emphasis on how much he sees. He sees all the sons of men. He fashions the heart of them all. He understands all of their works. Uh, we, we have to realize that God is perfectly complete. He is, uh, there's nothing hid from him. Uh, we can hide things from our spouses or our kids or our parents or our coworkers or our bosses, but we can't hide anything from God. And uh, we need to, we should, that should cause us to, to stand in awe of him and to live our lives uh, as living in his presence because we are doing, uh, conducting our lives in his sight. So he sees. Uh, verse 16 and following, there's a very interesting uh, illustration given to us. Uh, he says the king is, or a couple different illustrations, the king is not saved by a mighty army. Uh, a warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. So what, what they're doing here is, uh, what the psalmist is doing, he's, he's setting up these, these different illustrations. Uh, the king being saved by a mighty army, the warrior being delivered by his strength, the horse uh, does not deliver anyone by its strength. And then in verse number 18 and 19, uh, we, see, we see it hit home. What, what's your point? What's, what's the point of all that's going on? He says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. So it is not the army that delivers. It is not the horse that delivers. It is not the strength of the warrior that delivers him. It is God. It is God that delivers. And uh, each of these things... Now, now let me ask you... I, if you were going to war, would you rather have a small army or a large army? I don't think anybody would hear or rightfully say, yeah, you know, just me and my five buddies, we'll, we'll take care of it. No, we'd, we'd want the largest army we could amass and, and say, no, the, there's strength in numbers. The more we have, the greater chance I have of victory. But when it comes down to it, we see this illustration all throughout Scripture. Uh, it is God that delivers, not the strength of an army. Uh, when you think of the, uh, the Amalekites as they came to... Uh, uh, there was 200,000, if I believe, if, the, if, my, uh, if I recall correctly, Amalekites, and uh, only uh, 300 men with Gideon. But God delivered them from that massive army. Numbers mean nothing to God. It doesn't matter whether you have a, a few or many, it is God alone that delivers. So whether we're delivered with, uh, with the help of many, whether we're delivered with the help of one or two, we can only look to God and say, God, thank you for giving the victory. Thank you for delivering me. Uh, the same applies to the king, uh, a warrior. Warrior is not delivered by great strength. Uh, a horse is a false hope for victory. And, um, you know, you think about this and you say, why, why a horse? I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't make much sense. But uh, in battle in those times, I mean, a, a horse or a chariot uh, was a force to be reckoned with. Uh, if you had uh, somebody on a chariot, uh, you had several people on chariots, and they had uh, bows and arrows, uh, they could do some serious damage and take a mass of people out uh, because of their mobility, because of their 
the, the speed as opposed to a standing target. You had moving targets. That was a good thing to have. That was something to be, to, something to be desired. Uh, but it says a ho- horse doesn't deliver anyone by its strength. It is God that delivers. Uh, the, the third thing we see, so he, he watches, he delivers, and uh, the last thing is he cares. He cares. Notice, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Um, I was thinking about the, the eye of the Lord being on those who fear him. We've already, he's already established that God sees all the sons of men. Uh, from his place of habitation, he, uh, ha- um, from his place of, uh, pardon me, I'm going back here. Um, which verse was that? Uh, first, verse 14, from his dwelling place he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. We've already established that God sees everything um, and he knows everything. He's, nothing is hidden from him. But down here in verse 18, it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. Uh, the, only, the only thing I, I, I thought of when I was reading this is, for those of us who have kids of a, of a walking, wandering, uh, climbing um, disposition, I guess, when you go to the store, for instance, um, and you know your kids. You know they they don't want to be held. Of course, they don't want to be in the cart. They want to get down and they want to walk. I want to go. I want to do, and uh, I want to explore and climb on the shelves and underneath and everything. They they want to do their own thing. Um, and as parents, especially if you have more than one ch- uh, one child with such a disposition, like me, you have three of them that would just take off and just go do their own thing. Um, it's difficult to keep track of them. But as their parent, you, you have this obligation to watch for them, to watch for their safety, to watch to make sure that they, that they don't break anything, uh, that they don't climb off the, up the top of the, the shelves and, you know, jump off and do a flip or whatever, you know, something childish like that. Um, there's a, there's a, a desire and a responsibility to watch over our children. But in the same way, God, he has his eye on us. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. God is, is watching in a special way. He has a special love, a special desire uh, for his people, his children. And uh, so we need to, to realize that, that God, first of all, we can look at the attributes of God. God is he's good, he's righteous, he is just, he is holy. All of the things that we saw in the, the first part of the psalm. He, he watches, he delivers, uh, he cares for us. And then uh, the last thing we see in the, the, the final three verses, uh, how, how should we respond to him? What things should we do because of who he is, because of what he has done, what he has accomplished already in our lives? How should we respond to God? Uh, notice verse number 20. It says, Our soul waits for the Lord. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Uh, we need to, to wait on God. Um, there's a, a pastor of scripture, um, I believe it's in Jeremiah. I can't, I can't recall the exact text off the top of my head. I think it's Jeremiah 30. Um, but scripture says, Therefore will the Lord wait 
that he may be gracious to you, and therefore will he be exalted that he might have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. And then at the latter part of that verse, it says, Blessed are those who wait for him. Um, God has been ever so patient with us. I think we would all agree. Um, through our, our sin, uh, through our, our uh, foolishness, through the times where we do things and we look back and we're like, man, why in the world did I do that? That was the, that was the most foolish thing I could have ever have done, but I still did it. God, forgive me. Help me. God waits for us. He waits patiently for us that he might have mercy and grace. But it says, blessed are all those who wait for him. And as believers, we should be waiting patiently on God. Um, I, I did some reading um, this past week on, on George Mueller. And man, if, if you ever want to be convicted uh, about a life of faith and prayer, read anything about, about George Mueller. He... Um, it is absolutely amazing. But one of the, uh, the, the things that he emphasized in his life was, he says, I, I'm waiting on God to provide whatever we need. I'm, I'm waiting for him. God will provide in his time. I don't have to go seek it. I don't have to go beg people for money or for things. If God wants us to have it, he is going to provide for us. And uh, that, is a, that is a hard thing to, to do, to be patient and to have, have that type of faith in God that, that says, God, you know, I'm not going to go and, and do all of the foolish things that I normally do to try to fix my own circumstances. I'm going to wait for you. And I'm going to wait on the, the deliverance and the provision that you've already uh, allotted for me. So we need to wait on him, wait on God. Notice, he is our help and our shield. God is our help. Uh, we can't look at another man or another person and say, oh, this person is my help. No, God is the only one. So he is our help and our shield. Uh, notice, secondly, uh, verse 21, uh, our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. So we should wait on the Lord. We should rejoice in him. Uh, and yes, in the middle of our trials, we should rejoice. In the good times and in the bad times, we should rejoice. Um, I don't know about you all, but but that the, the sermon that, that Steve Martin uh, gave last week has been such a help, such a help about uh, being thankful as believers. Uh, that is, um, and I would encourage everyone, if you haven't gone and listened to it already, go back and listen to it again. That is so encouraging. Uh, but we need to, uh, to wait on the Lord. We need to rejoice in him. How can we rejoice in God? Uh, well, we can rejoice because he has a plan and purpose, as we heard two weeks ago. God has a plan that he is working out. All things work together for the good. Uh, for those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, so we uh, need to rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. And then uh, notice verse number 22. Uh, we, need to, we need to trust God. Uh, Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Now, the, the way that this is phrased is, is pretty interesting. I had a professor, he would always get up in, um, in college and he would open up the class uh, in prayer. Uh, before exams, he would always open up the, uh, the, um, the class time and the exam time in prayer. And he would always say this, he'd always say, Lord, I pray that you would help these students in direct proportion to the amount they've dedicated to study for this exam. 
And there was a part of me that I'm just like, you know what, that is, yes, I, I really, I'm thankful for that. But there was another part of me that said, no, Lord, be, please be more merciful to me than that. Um, but it says, let, let thy mercy, let your loving kindness, let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. And uh, that hope, of course, that's not a, an uncertain up-in-the-air thing that, that we think of in, in a secular terms, but we have a certainty of deliverance. We have a certainty of salvation because of who God is and what he's already promised, what he's already started to do, and what he will no doubt finish in us. So I just want to encourage you um, today, uh, wait on the Lord. In, in, our, uh, in our humanity and our, our uh, hasty behavior, we can make a mess for ourselves, can't we? Uh, but we need to wait on the Lord for, for his wisdom, for his guidance. We need to trust him. We need to rejoice in, in who he is and what he has done. So uh, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer.